now invite you to open up in your Bibles to the last two verses of chapter 2. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Verse 24, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. This is the written and the inerrant word of God. Let us pray. O Lord, open up this text that we would be nourished in your grace in your service, and that marriage could be a blessing to those who are married, that it would be a worthy aspiration for those who are not married but who desire to be so, and it would be a time of healing and understanding for those who are no longer married. And, O oh Lord, we pray, God, that you will bless us to know the lover of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the husband of your church, and we give you praise for sending him to save us. In Jesus' name, amen. What makes marriage different is that it was designed to be an exclusive relationship of caring attention to the spouse, a permanent relationship of covenant faithfulness, a uniting relationship of passionate love, and a shame-free relationship of ease in one another's presence. Sinful rebellion began with the fall of man and woman into sin in chapter 3. And sin has afflicted each of these four dimensions of marriage. And we'll talk some about that. But most of our attention this morning will be focused on the ideal. Because if we aim at nothing we're sure to hit it every time. So let's look at the design and the plan. And let us see how in these two verses of Genesis 2, as enriched by other portions of Scripture, if we can be encouraged. And you might catch yourself saying, well, that isn't the way it's working in my marriage right now. Or I don't remember things looking that way in my life in the past. Well, then try to take a long, appreciative gaze at what God created. And maybe then, after we face sin and accept our part in sin, while not denying the sin of others, and after we drink at the well of God's grace, we can have some healing and strengthening. Marriage is different because it is Verse 24, an exclusive relationship. Verse 24, a permanent relationship. Verse 24, a uniting relationship. And verse 25, it is a relationship in which we are meant to be at ease. So first then, verse 24, an exclusive relationship. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother... 
For context, we read in verses 21 through 23, the history lesson. Moses wrote this down. He wasn't there that day. But the Holy Spirit inspired these exact words to be put in the Hebrew language onto paper. And he was inspired to tell us the story of how God made the woman out of Adam's rib. A brother reminded me at the door of how this making is a mechanical making. It's in Genesis chapter 4 verse 17 that Cain made a city. It's an intense, intricate making that God went about here to create woman specially out of the rib of Adam. And we read that this, therefore, was the twice-refined crown of creation. In 1 Corinthians eleven seven, we read, Man is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. In other words, this is the height, the apex of God's creation that is meant to show off what God is like on earth. But then... He goes the extra step, but, but woman's the glory of man. That's where you get biblically this whole idea of woman being the crown upon the head of, of, of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. This is the twice refined creation. Man was refined out of that dust, and woman was refined out of the rib. And God made this woman for that man, as it says in 1 Corinthians eleven nine. God made the woman for the man. Now, having given this history, we see in verses 24 and 25 that Moses lays down the divine institution. He says, okay, you saw what happened there in the garden. Now look, verse 24, therefore, this is meant to be a pattern for you. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. You may have remembered it said in the King James Version, you need to leave and cleave. Well, this leaving part is where we get the idea of an exclusive relationship, even in relationship to parents. Now, we're familiar that marriage needs to be exclusive with regard to other women for a man or other men for the woman. There is exclusivity. Johnny Cash puts it, I find it very, very easy to be true. I find myself alone when each day is through. Yes, I'll admit that I'm a fool for you because you're mine. I walk the line. Oh, until he didn't walk the line. Oops, sin. <laughs> he left his wife that he was singing that to in the 50s and took up with another country music star. This is where the reality comes in. This is where the sin comes in. We always have to grapple with the fact of exclusivity and that this is a critical aspect, that we don't allow adultery to invade our relationships, but also that we don't allow parents to invade the priority of this husband-wife relationship. Now, John Calvin writes this. The leaving of father and mother is said not because marriage severs sons from their fathers 
or dispenses with other ties of nature, for in this way, God would be acting contrary to himself. God has given us parents for a reason. He says, honor your father and your mother. But that honor, as you move into adulthood, is no longer obedience, but rather honor. You give a listen to your parents, and then you move to make your decision. And Calvin goes on to say, we should make it a point of conscience not to separate a father from his son, but it is a still greater wickedness to dissolve the bond which God has preferred to all others. The husband-wife bond is preferred. And in my family, I had to defend that bond, not so much against parents. I think my father and the Koistras did a great job in staying out of our business. I had to protect it from the kids. Children have a way of invading marriage bonds in a way so to distract husband and wife from the priority of that relationship, inserting themselves in to make them number one. So I have to say, I have been blessed by four children who are now adults, who by the grace of God love Jesus and are walking with him. But as they grew up, I had to preserve, and I told them to their face, again at the supper table, I said to them, listen, my wife is number one in my life, and you are blessed to get her attention. And please respect us as husband and wife. Not those exact words, but I remember addressing them face to face. You have to protect the relationship and not let the children run the household. Now, the bond preferred means that there's one first priority for the husband, and that's the wife. And the first priority for the wife is the husband. You see, we gain an explicit principle of reciprocity in marriage from the New Testament. It says here, therefore, a man shall leave his father. But I want to take you to the New Testament. If you turn over there, please, to 1 Corinthians, page 1016, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And see there, reciprocity. Marriage goes both ways. And then we're going to take this principle and bring it back to chapter 2 of Genesis. If you read in 1 Corinthians 7, in three verses, you get reciprocity. Verse 3, let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Both spouses in the marriage have sexual expectations, but they are not unbridal expectations as we read on. Verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. You see the reciprocity. It declares that in the marriage bed, that the husband cannot unilaterally force his wife to do something because he has authority over her body. The reciprocity that Paul lays down immediately establishes that the woman has just as much authority over the husband's body as the husband has over, over the wife's body. The wife has just as much right to say stop to the husband's body as the husband has the right to make a request. 
So as Bible-believing Christians, we can't twist this verse to suit the passions of men or the passions of women, like some off-base, misguided fundamentalist writers like Bruce Wilkinson done. He was the guy who wrote that prayer of Jabez, which is totally off the wall, and his book on sex is totally misguided regarding this point. We have a reigning secular culture, and some evangelical fundamentalists have bought into it and neglected the love aspect. It's love which is meant to be displayed. And the reciprocity continues in 7.14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but they, but not, but, but they are holy. And so we see here, they are holy. And the husband sanctifies the wife if she's an unbeliever in the sense that this household becomes a place where Jesus can be shared. And the wife sanctifies the husband in the sense that this household is a place where the gospel can be talked about. And this doesn't mean that they're holy unto eternity. Children aren't holy in heaven based on their parents' faith. But they're set apart so they can hear the gospel. And then they believe for themselves. Now this biblical principle of reciprocity, we bring back to Genesis 2.24. And it means that women also need to leave their parents for the sake of devoting themselves to their marriage. It's not that they disrespect their parents, but in the same sense that the husband devotes himself to the wife, the wife has to put the husband first in line in devotion. How you work this out in practice is a matter of biblically guided wisdom. But I would counsel you to avoid two extremes and end up in the middle here. The first extreme is living like you're still part of your parents' household. Constantly checking in on every decision with mom and dad. Where helicopter moms or F-15 overly protective dads are constantly swooping in to weigh in on decisions. Like the comment begins this way. Not wanting to interfere, but, oh, that is a dangerous start for a father or a mother talking to an adult couple. The second extreme is to live like you don't have a parent and you never ask for their advice or act as if you don't need their wisdom. That you refuse to make the phone call or reach out face to face to both sets of parents to talk over big decisions like choosing a church home, like buying a house, like changing a job. The wise parent will give advice when asked, but not imply that they have the last word. The wise married son or daughter will, with his spouse, make the ask. Leave. The second point, marriage is different than other relationships because it's a permanent relationship. The phrase here in verse 24, and be joined to his wife. I really like the King James. It's so much more vigorous 
he shall cleave to his wife. It's a covenant of marriage where you hang on for dear life through thick and thin so that both partners have the security to be image bearers of God without the uncertainty of always wondering, is this going to last? Rather, you're confident that it's going to last, and therefore I have room to grow and room to be sanctified by my partner. And I can be vulnerable to them about my weakness without the fear of them dumping me. Now, I know of no other relationship that's permanent like marriage. When you join a local congregation, you become a part of Christ's church, not just this local church. We certainly urge stability here. We don't think you should be changing churches every couple of years from here to there. Sometimes people do that when they face a difficult time and you know, the advice you least want to hear from an elder or pastor is sometimes the word you need from God. And it will help you grow in your sanctification, but, but people leave. However, being a member of a particular local congregation is not permanent. For false doctrine can invade a church, or physical or sexual abuse can erupt in a church. And in that case... You need to ask the elders to bring correction. And if that doesn't work, you can ask the Presbytery, which is our group of 15 churches across New York State, to address the issue. But if that doesn't work, sometimes you have to leave. This is not a cult. It's a loving congregation built on the truth of Jesus Christ with accountability built in with elders and a presbytery which governs the elders. Now, by way of contrast, marriage is permanent. Unlike in a local congregation, if the wife or the husband is dabbling in unsound doctrine, the spouse can go to church, hear the word soundly preached, and what the spouse is thinking on this or that point is not a ground for divorce. Of course, physical abuse cannot be tolerated. And the state and the government and the police will be called in if it occurs in the homes of this church. We have a kingdom of Christ over the church. We have another kingdom of Christ that governs through the civil government. And we respect that kingdom when it comes to the breaking of laws. This church is a safe place, and we want to keep it that way by God's grace. Men, we are meant to cleave to our wives so that nothing can break that marital bond of love. Women, you are meant to cling to your husband. The word used has intensity. If you keep your finger in Genesis 2 and turn over with me, please, to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel. Samuel chapter 9. And there we read of a warrior associated with David. 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 23, excuse me. 2 Samuel 23, and that's on page number 297. 297. And I read, 
in verses 9 and 10. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ohite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. He arose, this is Eliezer, he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand stuck to the sword. In the King James, his hand cleaved to the sword. He didn't let it go. In fact, he was holding that sword so long they practically had to peel his fingers off the sword so he could end his day. And that's the way, men, you need to cleave to your wife. You need to make her top priority. And it's like going to battle for the sake of marriage. Like Eliezer went to battle for the sake of his commitment to his king, David. We go to battle for our marriage for the sake of the son of David, Jesus Christ, our Savior. You should cling to her and fight against your own sin. You're not fighting your wife. You're fighting your own sin. You're defending your wife in a corrupt culture. And men, the only way to ensure that your wife will be clinging you to you at the end of the day is to cling to her all the day, to demonstrate tender love unto her every day and to fight the battle of fierce commitment against sin in your own life. Remember, your job is not to sanctify her. Christ has that quite taken care of. In Ephesians 5, 25, we read, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Christ sanctifies the church, both male and female, husband and wife. And the job of husbands is made clear in verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. We love and we teach more by example than by our words. Women, you need to have a teachable spirit that is ready to be guided and led by your husband. Allow them to take the lead and encourage them even by sharing quietly in your home of your own learnings from the Bible. Men, love your wives. Three times over in Ephesians 5, it says that women respect your husbands. It's said repeatedly in chapter 5. As we cling to our wife, as we cleave to our wife, one of the key battles is our battle against lust as men. It's a battle against looking at suggestive pictures, looking at pornography, whether it's paper or online. It's a battle against looking at suggestive pictures on the margins or at the bottom of websites. I've unfortunately seen that some of the so-called conservative websites 
are horrific like this. You think this is a conservative website, National Review, started by William Buckley? And you think, yeah, they're, they're pro-family. They have the worst advertisements on the side and the bottom. I don't go to National Review anymore. I've got an accountability partner in, uh, in South Dakota. I've got accountability partners here in New York State. And talking over them, I said, I'm not going there. I'm not going to look at that kind of stuff. I'm just simply not going to expose myself, even though it's a leading conservative commentary site. You have to make decisions about where you're going to draw some boundaries. You need accountability in your life. And if you don't have it, seek it out in this church or among other Christians in your life. Key thing here that I want to tell you about accountability is you need a Christian friend who's going to be with you, but you also need a Christian friend who is for you, that you know he loves you and he wants the best for you. When you have those two things, you have a good friend to help you cling and cleave to your wife. So come, come today and let us be those who cleave and cling and do it in the power of God. This is a covenant relationship. When Israel was wandering from God, when Israel is going about a whoring as a prostitute, worshiping false idols, in the book of Hosea, God dramatized that by telling Hosea to marry a prostitute. <coughs> Just to point out that this is what's going on with me. You're a whoring against me, and I want Israel to see that. But then we see these beautiful words that God gives in Hosea 2, verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her vineyards from there. And the valley of Achor is a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. You see, we don't want a master-slave relationship in marriage. Husbands are not the masters. This is what the Bible says. So exercise your authority gently, men. Instead, let your wife say, wow, you're my husband and I love you. So we cleave according to the steadfast love of God who loved his people. Third, this marriage is a uniting relationship, and they shall become one flesh. This is a reference to what can be called the act of marriage. And that uniting physically is accompanied by emotional union of closeness, where we begin to understand one another from the inside out as we talk to one, to one another, read one another's body language, and open up relationally without holding back. Sex is a picture of that. Just as we don't hold back in bed, we don't hold back verbally and emotionally day to day. We are there for one another totally. The physical union is always a call in a married couple to closeness in every 
aspect of life. And when on top of that, the husband and wife are both believers in the Lord Jesus, it also points to a spiritual union. We may not have the same views on every matter, but there is a basic agreement that Jesus is my Savior, His Word is my authority, and I want to live that out in the fellowship of Christ's church. The power of physical union to grow, to draw two people together, a husband and a wife, is a great blessing of marriage. It's fun, and it's also important. Its effects are not limited to the bedroom. It's a uniting which draws us together to sacrifice for one another. Husbands sacrificing for their wives as Christ sacrificed for the church. Wives respecting and being subject to their husbands as the church is subject to Christ. Now these are countercultural notions. The whole idea of subjection, of submitting. But it's that love and that that respect which flows from the wife to the husband, which is how we are meant to understand the union between husband and wife. We submit to those that we are one with. That's the basis of submission. We are already one, therefore we can submit. Therefore we want to love. And so as we consider this, that, that this woman who was created for Adam was a helper who was comparable to Adam, that comparability is bringing about the union. And that comparability is how in everyday life we relate to one another. Husbands are called to lead their own wives in love in the family. And wives are called to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. That's why it's always put in there to their own husbands. It's the basis of the submission is the union they have. Ephesians 5, verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Why? Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the body for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. It's part of the order of creation. Now at the end of the chapter, we read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30, for, not, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And then he quotes the verses we're looking at today in verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see, it's a mystery that this Marriage here on earth is a picture of the spiritual union that believers have with Christ, their husband. 
Christ is the husband, the church is the bride, and our union with him, that we are connected to him, and therefore we gain justification, that we have a standing before God, we have an ongoing sanctification throughout our life, and we will be glorified at the last day with Jesus. It's all rooted on that union with Christ, and marriage is meant to be a pointer to that. The complementarian view which is what this is called, that husbands complement the wife and wife complement the husbands, is also the basis of leadership in the church family. It's two families where this leadership happens, the family at home and the church family. And we read in 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 14, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. It's here in the context of church leadership in the very next chapter. Paul describes how elders and deacons are to be called and appointed as men. And it's in that context that this submission in the church happens. And so we give glory to God that union in marriage is where submission happens. And union between Christ and his church is where submission also happens. For the church submits to Christ as represented by the preaching of God's word and by the authority of duly elected elders in the church family. And the fourth and final point is that we are meant to be at ease in this relationship. Take a look with me at Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Two commentaries brought out this word, at ease. And I just think it's a beautiful way to say in a positive way, what does it mean not to be ashamed? It means that we're at ease with one another. I'm not ashamed. I have no reason to cover up. And in marriage, we don't have to cover up physically, emotionally, intellectually, or spiritually. We are meant to be at ease in this relationship. For the man, it might just be that the woman's job is to make him feel like the king in his castle. That he doesn't have to put on and put up with what's going on out there in the world. That here's a space. I can just relax. And for the woman, the man would make this to be a haven, a place of refuge, a circle like the Shire in Lord of the Rings, a safe place where she can make her life abundantly beautiful as a wife in that home. And the man should protect that, and the woman should protect that for the man. And yet we have to face the fact that we're not always at ease with one another. There are times of shame. And it's because of sin. Adam and Eve fell into sin in chapter 3. They tried to cover up using fig leaves, and that didn't work. So God provided another 
source, which we'll get into. It was those animal skins. He did what they could not do. And he did, by grace, what we could not do by sending Christ to the cross. And we as believers need to walk in the grace which Jesus Christ extends to us individually and forgive our spouses. We are forgiven a mountain of sin. We need to forgive our spouses sin. As it says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And then in Romans 15.7, accept one another. Then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Accept. That's that whole idea of being at ease. Thomas Taylor, the Puritan who's quoted in the bulletin at the beginning there, wrote it this way. All married persons must above all things love, respect, and cherish grace one in another. Cherish the grace in your spouse. Cherish the grace in your home if your spouse is not yet a believer. Respect and cherish grace one in another. Ground not thy love upon beauty, riches, portion, youth, or such failing foundation, but pitch it first in God and grace, and it will take hold. Unquote. This is how we live without shame in the presence of our spouse, being honest about who we are without fearing rejection because we count on the grace of Christ, the love of God which we don't deserve. How often have I not deserved the love of my wife, Lois? And yet she gave it to me because she has been loved by Christ first. I encourage you, to leave your parents and prioritize the husband and wife relationship and call on your parents as needed. Second, I encourage you men to cleave to your wife. Fight for her by fighting sin in your own life. It's an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, according to our catechism. Not a singular act of justification. That's done. That's finished. When you're saved, you are saved forever from that moment on. But sanctification is an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. So do that work. Respond to his work. And cling to your wife. Wives, cling to your husband. Live out your union with Christ, strengthening yourself as branches on the vine of Christ. Christ is the vine. We're the branches. Embrace your union with him so you're strengthened to serve in your marriage. And set one another at ease in your house. Forgive one another. Walk in grace. Love forever. Until death do you part. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for this vision of marriage. Give us grace to live in that vision and not our own feelings of what marriage should be because of what the culture says it was or the temptations of this world would attack it. Let us live in your glorious picture, your design for marriage. For it is different 
but it's delightful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.